Hi, Ludmilla. Happy 2021. Hello, Charles. <laughs> Same to you. This is a special edition of Under the Cortex, the podcast of the APS. And uh, before we get going, I think it's great if we have a quick introduction. I'm Charles Blue, the Director of Media Relations here at APS. Joining me today is Dr. Ludmilla Nunj, the APS Senior Science Writer. It's great to be here. I'm looking forward to talking to you, Charles. It's been a very unusual past year, and I'm sure many people would love to forget many of the points of it, but remarkably, there are some interesting things worth remembering, at least as far as psychological science is concerned. Absolutely. You're totally right. Uh, There were new discoveries, intriguing research, and actually a few new questions that are ripe for investigation. Okay, so as a little background for our listeners, last week you and I pulled together two lists, collectively called Breakthroughs and Discoveries in Psychological Science 2020 Year in Review. I was in charge of finding the most popular news releases from 2020, and you pulled together the top 10 APS journal articles. Mm -hmm, That's right. Um, But I suppose I should explain that there are several ways uh, to rank the most impactful or referenced journal articles. We decided to base ours on something called uh, an altmetric attention score. That sounds scientific. What is that? (laughs) Well, there are a number of factors that go into calculating this score, but the important thing to know um, is that it basically uh, puts together and tracks how many times uh, an article is mentioned in many different mediums, from being Googled to appearing in social media or even in public policy documents. And then the altmetrics attention score um, let us know three important things, ranking, context, and hot trends or hot topics. Sounds very thorough. Quite a bit more work than I actually had to do. I simply looked how many times our news releases were accessed on a Newswise uh, Newswire service. So it could basically tell us how many times reporters or the general public accessed a story. So that gave an indication of the interest level for it. Let's go ahead and dive in. I do want to cover some some general ones. Uh, These are not everything we covered, but they're the ones I thought that were the most interesting. Leading off with something that we did about a year ago, and this was looking at research published in the journal Psychological Science that suggested that to get a better night's sleep, if you have the scent of your romantic partner, it can actually improve your quality of sleep. And I thought that was really interesting. I, we actually announced this around uh, Valentine's Day last year. But the point of it was you didn't even have to know the scent was there. The researchers basically had people take T-shirts that their romantic partner wore, and they used it as practically a pillowcase. They put the pillow into it, and they were able to, through various measures, they, they both measured them uh, with a... a a device that tracked quality of sleep, and also they they kept a journal. They found that having that smell around really did make people sleep a little bit better. That's true. That's a very interesting one. Did you cover that at all when you were uh, writing up your uh, weekly summaries for our members? Uh, I did. I actually cover all of them, uh, ah. but yes, in a very short summary. I think I believe you you gave it more extensive coverage. I think what was was really interesting is that the research is suggesting that there's simple strategies such as taking a partner's scarf or short along when you're traveling that can actually have measurable effects on our sleep. 
Mm-hmm. And they want us to look at future research as well, which might determine if the scent of a romantic partner has additional health benefits beyond just the domains of, say, stress and sleep. So let me then pass off to you. If you were to look at the, the stories you suggested, where did you come down as thinking, this one's really interesting and definitely worth uh, sharing? I actually took a little different approach to to the articles I identified because it's so difficult to uh, choose the most interesting one. And instead, I looked at the topics that seem to attract the most attention online. And this year, as we, as we talked about, was very unusual. So we had um, articles about fake news, um, about the pandemic, and about racial inequality, um, and also the future of women in psychological science as in the top 10 uh, of articles that gathered the most attention. And there's a bit of overlap with the news releases on those topics as well. Though. Yes. Yeah, we just did quite a bit on social media about the pandemic, uh, really just a, a treasure trove of interesting insights. If I had to select one specific article, though, um, there was a very interesting article in Psychological Science that is actually related to the pandemic and to um, misinformation or fake news online. So this was Fighting COVID-19 Misinformation on Social Media, Experimental Evidence for a Scalable Accuracy Nudge Intervention. So the title is very long. The idea behind this study was that nudging people to think about uh, the accuracy of news headlines, even when they are not accurate, might be a very simple way to improve their choices about what to share on social media. Um, And when people are directly asked about the accuracy of COVID-19 related news, uh, they actually became better at discriminating between true and false but when you talk about nudging, this is not like actually um, hitting somebody in the rib with your elbow. There's a, it's more of a, a technical term. How, how do you is. describe nudging in this circumstance? Uh, so nudging, uh, it's very used in behavioral economics. And it's just uh, leading people in a certain direction. So I can't remember the details of the study, how the uh, researchers actually implemented this nudging. Uh, But I believe it was something just to simply uh, um, have people, guide people. For example, if you're in a social media platform, if you guide people to think a little bit more about the information they're about to share, Instead of just, oh, are you going to share these, yes or no? If you think, do you think this is true or not? Uh, People are more likely to sit back and evaluate if the information is true or false. So it's very small changes, for example, uh, in online environments that can lead people to a different behavior. I was looking up uh, what was put out in the news release as well, and Gordon Pennycook with the University of Regina in Canada, who's who's lead author on the paper, said that people often assume that misinformation and fake news is shared online because people are incapable of distinguishing what's true and what's false. And his research reveals that it's not necessarily the case. Instead, he says, we find that 
people tend to share false information about COVID-19 on social media because they simply fail to think about accuracy when making decisions about what to share with others. So mm-hmm. again, that falls right right in there. I'm going to just go on to one more news release that is mercifully not related to COVID-19 or anything in politics or misinformation. And this was essentially taking a look at a past study, uh, something that was published in 2015, a report linking violent video games with aggressive behavior in children. And the researchers on this have been studying video games for quite a long time. Uh, Chris Ferguson, who is with Stetson University, and they did a meta-analysis. And you can probably explain better what that is than I can, but, but in general, it's pooling many other researchers research results together and finding what is the commonalities that give it stronger confidence in the results. And they discovered that violent video games do not appear to be linked to aggression. And uh, basically saying the, the, the organization, the design of those studies that were looked at that came to the initial conclusion might not have been particularly well designed. So uh, when you're doing these meta-analysis, the, the big point is generally to really take a look at the design of the studies that go into it originally before you try and come up with a overarching conclusion. Maybe you could do, again, if, if mm-hmm. I've missed anything on, on meta-analysis, let me know. But I, I, oh, no. I thought that was... You are absolutely right. So in a meta-analysis, you combine a series of, a series of studies and you can calculate uh, the size of the effects that that study sh- that each one of the studies showed, and there are many factors that contribute to that. For example, uh, the number of participants in a study is a main one of those main factors. So when you aggregate a series of studies, you are able to calculate an average effect size. And sometimes, uh, when you compare that aggregated average effect size, uh, you find that it's much smaller than it was identified in individual studies. And I believe that's what happened in this case. So this association that seemed powerful in some studies actually does not seem to to be that strong. Which is really comforting considering that during the pandemic, I'm sure many more kids were playing video games and uh, parents may have been a bit alarmed, but this basically says that you know, there are other things worth being alarmed about, like the actual pandemic itself. Uh, and if our listeners are interested, we actually have an entire research topic on our website about video games and violence, so they can delve in a little more, bit more deeply into this topic. So do you have anything else you want to bring up with uh, what has been published in our journals over the past year? There was this article that I believe you covered extensively, um, The Attraction of a Darker Self, Can Bad Be oh, Good? yes. Uh, It was by Rebecca Cross and Derek Rucker. And in this article, the authors showed that we tend to prefer fictional villains who are similar to us. So they took data from an online platform. Users could become fans of different characters and take quizzes to evaluate their similarity with those characters. So people tended to prefer the the villains who were actually similar to themselves. So this was really interesting. You probably have a lot to say about this article. I thought it was just the most uh, delightful bit of research. Uh, Essentially, you're 
you're looking for similarities and not necessarily your desire to go out there and dominate the world and do evil, but things like, say, the character of Voldemort from the Harry Potter series. There's you know, an absolute villain, but he also shows issues of intelligence, resourcefulness, creativity, dogged determination, and people can identify with those sort of positive characteristics. They can see that in the character himself. It's not saying that you see yourself as these characters, but there are things that are not part of their evil behavior that you can really sort of identify with. And that's what makes them a little more enjoyable to watch in a fictional sense, not in real life. We're not talking about uh, criminals or people who are reported in the news. This is actually only in the, in the fictional sense. So yes, yes, just fictional, these characters like, I particularly like Darth Vader. I don't know what are the similarities, <laughs> but yes, yeah, sometimes it feels good to watch these villains, these bad characters in films, on TV, and we see some similarities with ourselves. I'm going to point out just two other things that, that we did that were sort of tied together with COVID-19, which seems to pop up so many times in the past year. And that is, uh, we also produced things that were called uh, backgrounders, which weren't necessarily new news, but they did really well in, uh, in the news release format, uh, pointing out what experts had to say. And there was one that we did on psychological science, COVID-19, and conspiracy theories. And considering that uh, we seem to be uh, dealing with conspiracy theories and theorists on a daily basis. I just thought that was a, a fascinating bit of research. And this was provided to us by Karen Douglas, who's a professor of social psychology at the University of Kent in the UK, whose research focuses on conspiracy theories. So she she goes through a whole host of uh, what makes a conspiracy theory, what are its principal characteristics, uh, what does psychological science tell us about why certain people embrace conspiracy theories. And there are many sets of things that go into it. And the one that I've, I've been seeing recently that seems to resonate with me is the, the, the set of needs is social. That is, people need to maintain a positive image of themselves and the groups they belong to. So uh, some evidence to support this is that people who experience a strong need to feel unique compared to others tend to show greater belief in conspiracy theories. And it's, it's a really good description of how they play out and particularly how it relates to COVID-19. There's also a podcast that was done on this where I interviewed Karen and uh, Mike Shermer, who is the head of the Skeptic Society. So he goes into a little bit of his research on things from uh, Holocaust denials to moon landing skeptics. And it's just been a fascinating topic for me over the years. I've really been intrigued by the whole concept of conspiracy theories. And what's nice is she, she kind of, Karen boils it down. I asked her, what is one message people should know about conspiracy theories, particularly during this crisis? And she basically says, conspiracy, conspiracy theories are important to study because they can have harmful consequences. While people are drawn to conspiracy theories to cope with difficult circumstances, they seem, if anything else, just to make things worse. So I thought that was a nice conclusion and maybe something we can take with us over the course of the next few months in early 2021. I absolutely agree with that. And I like how that uh, research is actually connected with the misinformation and spread of misinformation, because misinformation can be conspiracy theories. So. 
I believe we had a nice selection of articles about conspiracy theories and then how those tend to spread and how we can nudge people to not spread them. So it, it was an interesting trend in 2020. Here we are in the pandemic. I tend to spend way too much time on my electronic devices, my iPad, my iPhone. And there has been some concern that bedtime media use can harm children's sleep. And there was some research into this that the answer is sometimes, but not always, which I think is kind of like the good thing we can take out of this. According to a new study, the the study was published in Psychological Science, media use in the hour preceding bedtime impacts sleep only in children who struggle to self-regulate their behavior. And I'd I'd love for you to explain that a little bit to me, but uh, it's basically frequent media use before bed in these children predicted later bedtimes and less sleep, but had little impact on children who do well at self-regulating their behavior. And I think I kind of know what that is, but maybe you could explain a little bit more about what this self-regulation means in this circumstance. It is basically the ability that we have to implement certain constraints to our behavior and behave in certain ways to achieve a goal. So controlling our behavior in order to achieve a goal. They, they did point out that the children with low effort for control, effort for, boy, that's not the easiest word to say. <laughs> you can spell it, but you can't, can't. Effortful control might struggle with switching their attention from watching media before bed to calming mm-hmm. down and falling asleep. And again, not specifically to this, but in much of our research, we discuss this concept of effort for can't effort. do it. Effortful. Control. Effortful uh, control, yes. Thank you. Is, is that... My accent sounds much better. <laughs> it sounds perfect. Much, my, my Pennsylvania no, Dutch it's... accent doesn't do it <laughs> But is that the same thing or is that a different measure? No, it is, it is similar because it's necessary to self-regulate behavior. So effortful control, it is necessary to regulate behavior because it is not something easy to implement, uh, switching between tasks. And um, it requires uh, a conscious uh, control of where to allocate attention and which behaviors to choose. So yes, if I would believe if, if a child has trouble uh, controlling their behaviors and switching from task to task, using, using media right before bedtime might impair the quality of their sleep. So Ludmilla, is there anything else that you came across this past year that's particularly interesting looking back on 2020? Well, there is one topic that is, it's very related to psychological science, might be, might feel a little bit unique to the field, but I don't believe it is. I believe it's a more transversal issue. Um, and this was in, the, in an article published in Perspectives on Psychological Science, The Future of Women in Psychological Science. Uh, I believe you, you also did a podcast on this topic and you talked to the lead author, June Gruber. Yes. Maybe you yes. want to tell us more about this. Actually, I believe this was my 2020 top article, if I had to choose one. I think I just will only say to lead up to, you know, you're going into it a little more in detail, is the way that it started was fascinating. There was a group of 
female psychological scientists. They were at a convention and started to realize that there were fewer recognitions of women in the field. And that started a multi-year discussion that eventually led to this really first overarching analysis of the status of women in psychological science. So it was a informal discussion that blossomed into recognizing that there was a dearth of research, a dearth of information, and it led to this very comprehensive study that gives an overarching view of the state of women in psychological science and recommendations for making improvements. So I I thought it was a very important article that brings awareness to some of the issues we have in the field, and I'm sure we have in other scientific fields too. So I would like to thank you for your time today. It's been a delight. I think we can continue to have uh, discussions like these, looking at interesting research. If our listeners want to learn more about what was exciting in 2020, please come to our website, psychologicalscience.org, take a look in the news section, and you will see the top 20 stories of 2020, uh, 10 from news releases and 10 from our journal articles. Start there, dive in, and uh, keep yourself entertained and informed. So thanks very much, Ludmilla. Appreciate your time today. Thank you, Charles. It was my pleasure talking to you.